From Bentonville, the epicenter of retail's hometown, it's the Supplier Community Podcast, giving you 24-7 access to a community of emerging and experienced thought leaders in the retail space. Enjoy the show. Welcome to Episode 4 of the Supplier Community Podcast. I'm Josh, and I hope your 2020 is off to a good start. Think back to last spring, 2019. Days were getting longer and warmer, your kids had probably already lost or broken most of their Christmas presents, and the bravest of us had already busted out our shorts and our tank tops, and on the morning of March 12th, 150 or so blurry-eyed retail pros filled in record in downtown Bentonville at 8 a.m. for a day-long conference focused on shopper marketing. Our second Shopper Marketers Toolbox, hashtag SMTB2019, featured lone speakers and two panels on subjects like in-store activations and conversational AI with Google's AdLingo. For episode four, we're bringing you the afternoon panel, led by the incomparable Alicia Watkins, who is the founder of Paradox. As she talks with Hasbro Senior Manager Nathan Pendleton, Belkin International Sales Director Janelle Martin, Numerator SVP Scott Anderson, Snap2 Insight VP Mike Sweeney, Soapbox Influence President Bethany Stevens, and Kellogg Company Sales Lead Whitney Cooper as they discuss how insights affect today's shopper marketing and how to navigate resources while keeping up with the ever-changing industry trends. We definitely want this to be an open discussion today, um, so f- please feel free to chime in. Um, but before we get started, let me scoot around this way so I can see your beautiful faces. Um, I would love for you to each just introduce yourself. I know, Whitney, you've been up here. Um, but just talk about your role um, just very briefly so we, we can get an understanding. Okay, yeah, so I forgot I wasn't up. Hi, everyone. Again, Whitney Cooper. Um, I lead mass e-commerce for the Kellogg company, um, which includes Walmart and Target, so .com, Pure Play, and then online grocery activation with my shopper partners. Hey everybody, Scott Anderson. Um, I work for Numerator, which was a conglomeration of InfoScout and MarketTrack, if you might be more familiar with either of those two companies. I lead our CPG manufacturer, retailer, and restaurant business. Got my own mic. Uh, Janelle Martin, I am the director of sales for Belkin Linksys Electronics. So I'm one of the few salespeople in the room today. Um, but we, I manage Sam's Club, Walmart, and then all of our dot-com business for Walmart Inc. My name is Nathan Pendleton, and I manage omnichannel marketing for Hasbro here locally. Um, I was in e-commerce with them before that, and then I've also done e-commerce and omnichannel marketing for Johnson & Johnson. So lots of different experiences, and look forward to sharing them. Wonderful. Okay, we'll get started with our first area of focus. And as I said, it's insights and activation is the topic today. Um, and Nathan, you talked about that this morning as well. but. Um, really, I would love to hear from each of you what you believe Insights has had an effect on shopper marketing or your business as well, um, and how you're leveraging those today to drive your strategy. Um, I can jump in really quick. So for us, you know, as I mentioned this morning, in, in the world of uh, ROI, and we're all being judged on it, we can't get away with just being really good project managers or going off of gut anymore when it comes to the world of shopper. So for us, we have really put a focus on what problem are we trying to solve? Is it solving a real problem? Are we just doing it because we did it last year? And that's something that we struggle with. Anyone who's in traditional CPG, it's like, oh, we did this program last year, so we're going to do it this year. And that's just not cutting it anymore. So for us, we're, um, we're having to be very intentional and, and not wait three months after a campaign's done. Like, Let's meet two weeks after the campaign's done, get their right insights, and then pivot from there. Okay. So I'll, I'll start with uh, not what we do as numerator, but just a couple of best practices from clients, um, which cover kind of top CPGs, including Whitney's company. So a lot of what they're doing from a strategy perspective is taking insights to affect their promotion planning or their advertising planning. And how they do that is by looking at what brands are most commonly purchased by certain shopper and consumer groups, and then what other brands that they are also purchasing. So what's so basket affinity, household affinity, types of insights, um, a lot of heavy, medium, and light loyalty uh, analysis. So then now I know who I'm targeting with a certain promotion, so I'm planning in advance 
Um, the audience that I'm trying to target, I'm also planning what are my co-promoted brands. So I can, yes, I can go try to convince a retailer to, like Walmart to promote my brand, but who should I promote it with? What time of year is best to promote it? So a lot of that work is being done in their promotion and advertising planning for a year out. Um, they'll usually do three cycles three times a year. Um, and they leverage shopper insights along with their point of sale and inventory and other uh, data sources that they have um, to plan their promotions and their key promotional events. So it's really about right time, uh, right person. Um, and a lot of times we do the promotion we did last year instead of saying how would we uh, change that promotion, change the time period, have secondary displays, and how can I go provide insights to a retailer saying this is good for you if we do this together. So I would just say insights a little bit more tactically, but um, doing strategic promotion planning a year out is something that's been a best practice. We have one more panelist joining us. Miss Bethany. <laughs> Great. Thank you, Scott, for that. Yeah, we did. Bethany, we were just talking about what effect has Insights made on shopper marketing. Um, would love, now that you're here, to jump into that question, too, and give your, give your thoughts on you that. You bet. You bet. Well, sorry to join. I was just shooting the breeze out here for a different start time. But again, I'm Beth Stevens uh, with Soapbox Influence. And it's really interesting because our business has evolved from being a little bit of a split between insights and influence to understanding that that really has to drive every single thing that we do. So we talk a lot at Soapbox about really listening to and crowdsourcing the voice of the shopper and letting that guide the campaigns and the marketing that we do for our clients. That's great. And Janelle, you and I were talking about earlier, you know, seeing as you are the sales marketing insights, you know, person within your organization, can you talk about some of the resources that you use, knowing that your smaller company may not have very large budgets to be able to access, you know, a lot of the great data sources that are out there, but how do you tackle that in your, in your business today? Yeah, so we, um, for those of you that have heard of Belkin and Linksys, um, we are a, a strong consumer electronics brand, but we don't have um, the big budgets, marketing budgets like CPG companies. We don't have the big structured marketing teams. We don't have a shopper insights team. Mm -hmm. um, I have a channel marketing team that I work with, and I also have a global marketing. So the global marketing, because we are a, a global company, um, is spread very thin. Um, one of the ways that we've found best to work together with our traditional marketing um, group is just to have them, you know, it seems basic, but have them in the meetings with the buyers, understand the, the pain points of the buyers, um, really get to know your sales teams. And I liked the last two ladies that were up talking, that collaboration and partnership from the marketing side to the finance side, all of those cross-functional teams working together is really like the key to success, whether it's shopper, shopper marketing or anything that you're doing with Walmart. Um, the other thing that I would say is, as a um, just a, a key learning that we've had is how do we help our buyers educate them on shopper marketing because some of them are traditional brick and mortar retailers and they don't they talk about omnichannel but they don't understand what omnichannel is and they don't know all of the terminology and the keywords that you guys do and, and you use in your everyday lingo. So how can you, as marketers, help educate them? Um, and it will just set you up to be more successful with them. And then you'll also make them look good, which is always key. Yeah, absolutely. Nathan, we were talking earlier about um, you know, that omni-channel space and insights. I know you're going from baby to toys and um, you know, talk about that process of connecting the different functions in the organization. I know when you can empathize with this as well, in um, not having your own kind of big budgets like you might have had in the past, how do you navigate those resources in your internal organization and then with the retailer partners as well? Absolutely. So I think for me, insights is really, it's what you can get at a national level and what you can get from your brand teams but also what you could take them from Walmart. Mm -hmm. So understanding who your Walmart consumer is and how that person is similar and indifferent to the national consumer and really focusing on what makes them special for Walmart and tapping into that when you do a program is really mm -hmm. key. Um, when you get to budgets, uh, obviously budgets change. Um, my number one advice, if you don't know what to do or where to start, just go to a store. Go to four or five stores and just kind of stand a couple aisles over, watch the consumer, watch how they shop your product, watch how they interact, 
Are they flipping it over? Are they looking for questions? Are they on their phone? Are they going to walmart.com or somebody else to get product information? What is it that you can provide them that's gonna help them convert? Mm -hmm. um, and so just let the consumer guide you on where they wanna go and they'll show you. Yep. That's great. Um, Bethany, we were talking about earlier, you know, what is the best way to ba balance the voice of the shopper and knowing who that Walmart shopper is uh, with your merchant and your internal organization? What recommendations do you have there? Yeah, I think it's probably overly simplified here, but it's just a little bit of what Nathan said, that constant back and forth. If we get too mired on behalf of our clients in talking to the shopper and we forget to check in with the buyers, um, and understand their priorities, we're gonna miss the mark and vice versa. It's very easy to go down the lane of meeting regularly with the buying teams and, and forgetting to just get back in the store, get back in front of the shopper. So uh, again, overly simplified, but that balance is so critical on a constant basis. Yeah, and Whitney, I know you've had a lot of great success in this, um, both managing up, if you will, but then, but then out. Um, you know, what advice would you have of, of how to show up best, both in, in your internal organization when you have so much of that knowledge and experience and sharing that internally, but then also getting a seat at the table um, you know, with your customer? So the thing I've learned, quite painfully, my dad, over um, <laughs> the last year, has really been about the whole idea of what's in it for me. Like, as humans, you know, we, we all operate like, is this going to make, you guys are all sitting at this conference. Is it adding value? Like, you're all sitting here because you're trying to get smarter. You're trying to take something back that's gonna make your job, make you better at your job. And for me, with the different audiences, and I, I joke about this, 60% of my job truly is internal sales mm -hmm. and change management within our organization to get people to care <laughs> about omni-channel and e-commerce. And so the most success I've had, and again, hard way, not a lot of success all the time, but you gotta you know, take your small wins, um, is to sit down with people and make them understand why this is important to them. Mm -hmm. So when you put it in their like, love language of like, this is why this matters to you, when this, this, and this, this runs your sales. Um, because like the way we have it now, we still have our pure play is folded up into brick, the brick sales numbers. So it's, E-commerce has been in this little black hole, but now that I've been able to sit down and conversely, like working with the internal Walmart partners, whether it's in Hoboken, San Bruno, or here, a lot of them, like you, I think someone mentioned, yeah, they, they say omni-channel, but they really don't know what that means. So like when you sit down and like calmly like explain to them, like this is what's in it for you if we win here, that's really like, that would be my biggest tip is try to get people to understand how it's going to affect their business. That's great. Um, another really great area I want to talk about is I know that we all have a vast amount of data and uh, within our organizations, whether it's sales data, IRI data, Nielsen data, numerator data, all the all the things. Um, who would you say, um, and, and anybody can answer this, is that you're actually seeing them use those insights in the activation well, whether it be retail, a brand, um, a shopper marketing partner, who would you say is, has kind of done this that, that you're watching? There you go. Sure. All right, I'll, I'll give it a run. Uh, since, since we work, um, we work across about um, 300 different clients that cover restaurant, retail, and CPG manufacturing. Um, I'd say there's there's some really big brands that are doing it well, some big companies, um, some of which I'm sharing this stage with. And I think what they are doing is leveraging multiple data sources, and they're leveraging um, great talent, right, to to bring that story together to tell it retail. I'm with Whitney, I'm surprised it's only 60% of your time is spent internal selling. Um, for those that don't know, I spent 16 years at Kimberly Clark and Campbell Soup, so um, not always on the supplier side of things. Um, felt like more like 90% when I was doing it. Um, but a lot of it is just, they're, they're leveraging a lot of resources and people and analytics teams and not everybody has that. As Janelle and I heard in this conversation earlier, it's uh, sometimes mm -hmm. you now are on a team of three people and you're the primary person. So even there's some smaller companies that, if you think about what's the strategy of a smaller company, they want to be a big company someday when they grow up, right? Um, but they have, to leverage, they have to leverage more of their vendor partnerships when they don't have a team. So I'd say one of the kind of big deals is that they are, um, they're taking the small group of talented people that they have and they're leveraging more of their partnerships and the, and the labor and the talent that comes out of their partnerships to help them grow. So I'd say two different um, cuts at it, but um, just from a shopper marketing tied to insights, it's really about 
Omnichannel insights are kind of the biggest thing right now because every retailer wants to know where are my shoppers going when they leave my store, and they're not just going to another store. They're going to a, an e-tailer, they're going to a restaurant, so food away from home is a grow, huge growing trend. Not everybody eats anymore in the same place or the same way. So I'd say those that kind of understand the whole uh, journey, and we talk about path to purchase a lot, but where consumers are really going now and how those trends have shifted to online, how they're shifting to away from home. Um, no matter big or small, if you understand that really well, you're gonna be able to bring insights to your buyer and to your partners that nobody else has. But small or big, it's how you either leverage your own people or you leverage your partners. So. Don't be afraid to put pressure if you're small on your partners to help you um, with highly skilled talent. I was just gonna add, um, not to pump them up if the Google people are still in the room, um, but we in the technology space and um, this ever evolving world of smart home, connected home, the internet of things, um, if you look at what Google has been able to do with their Google Home application and how they've tied that in with um, the Hey Google and the the way that the algorithms and the analytics that they use behind how they answer the questions is more intuitive than maybe I'll say an Alexa. Um, if you think about how the Google position versus, we'll just use this example of, of Amazon, um, Amazon is very good at um, doing what I would call more tactical, like how do, I, how do I put something in my shopping cart? They are not as, um, I guess intuitive is the right word that I want to keep using um, as, Google, as the Google, Google application at understanding like what is really the customer's needs? Like what are they really trying to ask us for and ask us to solve for them? So I would say continue to watch what Google is doing, especially with Walmart. They are a big partner of Walmart. Um, there's a lot of cool things that are coming up. Um, that they're working on that I don't know if the team was working on some of the specific projects, but a lot of things that we're hearing that Google's working on in relation to the Walmart app. So as marketing people, you guys should stay close to that space. That's great. Speaking of change, Nathan, you and I talked earlier about the role of insights in shopper marketing and how that has evolved you know, across not only the different categories that you've worked on, but being on the shopper marketing side and then, and then omni-channel as well. Um, what would you say has been the biggest shift um, from your perspective? Well, obviously, digital has been the biggest shift. Uh, it continues to be the biggest shift by far. Um, but I think it's, it's more the consumer journey to the purchase now. Used to, it was a fairly clear path that you went to. You either knew what you wanted or you trusted a brand, you went there, or you asked someone, and it was a pretty clear path to purchase. Now, that path to purchase is nowhere near that easy, nowhere near that clear. And, um, you know, we've seen social rise so fast lately and buying through social, whether it's Facebook or Instagram or anybody else, that's a whole nother direction that people are now going. And I mean, I don't know about any of you out there, but my Instagram is really good about showing me exactly what I want to buy. Um, which, At 2 a.m. Yeah. And then it pulls me out of purchase because I'm not in the store anymore. I'm not looking for a product. I'm buying it before I even have a need for it. Um, so I guess it goes back to that intuitiveness. Like it's recognizing that, hey, this is a person who usually buys X, so we're going to keep showing them X. Um, yeah. until they stop buying it, which is really good. Um, but I think the other change that we're really seeing is just in the family unit itself and the shopping patterns, um, it's really important to recognize that, you know, when I grew up, I'll date myself here, I mean, Sunday afternoon was a trip to Walmart, um, and you saw most of the people from your hometown, um, and it was kind of a social type event. Um, now, I do not go to Walmart on Sunday. Um, in fact, I usually don't go in any store on Sunday because I know there's going to be more people there. So it's more about a saving of time and an efficiency standpoint because we have other venues to get that social side out. So really make sure that you're clear and, and concise on your messaging, um, on your call to actions for your consumer, and that you're really driving them with what they're looking for so that they can actually live their lives. That's great. So talking about looking ahead, I uh, would love to jump into that topic now, both Bethany with um, the social space and then Scott, your thoughts um, from an insights and category perspective and where you see some of your 300 clients going um, for the future. Um, if you could say what, what would you 
what would the next five years look like? And for these um, folks in the audience, what should they be looking at or thinking about today? We hear about AI, we hear about all these things that are happening, um, specifically application for their roles um, coming in the near future. What would you say what that would be? Yeah, I think it's it's so interesting what you just said, Janelle, about um, you know just really watching that the the Google versus the Alexa approach, where one is far more um, merchant oriented and the other is far more, I think, discovery oriented. One of the things that we see in the social space um, when you talk about social listening, that's really really cool, is uh, just being able to monitor trends and and to see them start to bubble up before they take off at a grand um, scale. And obviously AI, you mentioned, but audio, we feel like so few clients are, are paying attention to podcasts as mm -hmm. um, a great source of information. So one of the things we love is when we can do a little bit of discovery, a little bit of um, light shopper insights before we run a program so that we can understand how does the shopper want to hear about um, this particular product or category. Uh, we do a ton in the toy and the baby space, um, and you know we're kidding ourselves if we think that you know those shopping decisions are still being made in the same way that they used to. Um, there is a nag factor with toys for sure, um, but at the end of the day, I hold the wallet, and uh, the eight-year-old may pressure me, but I'm making the shopping decision. Um, so if we're not reaching mom where she is, um, and that's listening to podcasts, that's scrolling Instagram, whatever the case may be, um, we're definitely missing the mark. And uh, I think it'll be so neat to see how you all are continuing to drive that because we're just getting snippets of it when we talk to uh, shoppers and, and kind of understand the conversations that can unfold. Yeah, I think that's right. I'll, I'll add sort of there's three big trends that we see right now in the data, and we're tracking sort of uh, where someone shops, everywhere they shop, kind of across the omni-channel, so in-store, away from home, and online, um, you know, on a consistent basis across about a half a million people. And so, and we can talk to them because we collect the data through, um, via two applications that we built that are right on their smart device. So we can actually talk to somebody when they go into a store and say, why this brand, why this, why this retailer, retailer restaurant. So aligned to that, that's, that's a little bit just about where the data and the trends are coming from. Um, one is is consumer. The consumer is in charge. So I think you just you just heard from Beth. You've heard it from Nathan. Um, that uh, you know, and they have a powerful um, computer in their pocket or purse all the time. Um, sometimes under their pillow. If you're one of my kids, so and, and that device is with them always, which means on the fly they can uh, they can get marketing messages pushed to them, uh, personalized one to one. They can do research in the store. I'm walking in a store and I'm deciding I need a new laptop or uh, whatever, or apparel or whatever you're buying. Um, I can instantly price check every retailers. I can price check retailers. I can decide I'm going to leave the store and go home and uh, order this through you know a different retailer, whether that's Walmart.com or BestBuy.com or Amazon.com or whatever. I can check ratings and reviews online. Is this the product I really want to buy? What are other people saying about it? I can connect through social to do the same thing. So the, the trends are, that's what that's done is it's put research um, reviews in the hands of the consumer on the spot in the moment that they're making a decision. So more and more people are walking into a store and walking out um, and not making their decision on the spot. So we have to market to those people differently. So we have to market more in advance of them going to the store, not just when they're in the store. We also have to hit them when they're in the store with something that's relevant to them. So it can't just be the same display, the same messaging. It has to be more personalized to the audience you're trying to hit. So that's one is just the research is, is kind of real time now. And I do it myself all the time. Um, so I can attest. The second one, I'd say big trend is the way we frag completely fragmented shopper marketing and shopper insights now because there's, there's not just one way to get products. So you guys talked about it, but I don't just go to the store and buy my stuff and go home. Um, now I, I either go to the store and I pick up my the things that I want to buy, or I go online and I have the store pick it for me and I show up and pick it up. So that that has started at Walmart, it's gone to Kroger, it's going to Meyer, it's it continues to you will see that spread its wings across the entire industry, um, both grocery and mass. Uh, that'll that's a huge trend that's continuing. Uh, I ship to home, obviously that's my e-tailer direct to home, uh, and then I get food or ingredients delivered to me directly. So I know, you know, there's Uber Eats and there's this proliferation of Blue Apron and everything else. 
And so we're seeing just eating change, shopping change, and now you've got four primary channels instead of one to buy products. And so how you market to people, where and when and how you spend that limited bucket of trade funds and advertising funds um, has now fragmented. I think the third you talked about a little bit, Beth, is voice. So uh, if you're in a category that's um, replenishable and it's, uh, and it's category like shave or pet food or toothpaste or anything that I buy the same thing over and over again and I know diapers, I go through 10 a day because I have a newborn um, and I know I run out every three days or every seven days, we're seeing a big trend of those just shifting to voice. Voice drives brand loyalty because I don't shop anymore. I say order toothpaste, it remembers what toothpaste I buy, so now I'm all of a sudden more loyal to that brand. Um, and the same thing with online shopping. You're 60% more likely to buy the same brand over and over if you buy it online. So how you market, who you market to, and where you market to create brand loyalty is, yeah, those are three big shifts in the market. Yeah, that's really interesting. I think it's um, it, for those brands that are loyal, but the ones who are a bit more impulsive, um, that's really something that they need to be focused on and thinking through as well. I wanted to add one more thing. Um, yeah. For those of you that didn't attend the Walmart Summit a couple weeks ago, one of the big um, requirements, and I can't remember if they talked about this in the general session or if it was the technology and entertainment breakout, but um, you spoke about reviews, and this kind of jogged my memory. Walmart's now, um, the expectation is that your products online have a four-star average review or above. If not, you are um, going to be exposed to maybe being deleted in stores. So that was a big, like they're putting in a lot of emphasis emphasis on this, um, not only to get your reviews up, but also to engage with that customer and talk about why you're getting the negative reviews. So if your teams aren't doing that today, um, definitely get that. Um, taken care of. <laughs> That's great. Um, we talked about you know the changes. Um, how do we start to as marketers? I think like we hear we hear what we're talking about today with the omni channel and the shopper changing. Yet our briefs and our KPIs are still the same as they were. Um, two years ago or three years ago. <laughs> um, I was just thinking about what you're saying, and yes, we know that there's fragmentation. We know that they shop different ways, yet at the end of the day, we're, we want to drive directly to store or to... So how do we, as marketers and you know other supporting functions that are doing this work, start to change how we operate, um, knowing that the shopper is changing? Whitney, would love your thoughts there. <laughs> Um, I mean, honestly, it's kind of what I had on my slide in my presentation. You got to get everybody in a room and you've got to all, I mean, I know this sounds like so simple, but for us, it's just been, we have to really see what the real real is with not only our consumer, but also our Walmart relationships and, and, and become more, just more co collaborative, honestly. Um, I think that that's the only real way that we're going to win here. Um, and we're, we're experiencing major bleed over um, from all the teams. Like it's like the shopper insights person saying something, then I've got my e-com insights person that's up in Battle Creek saying basically the same thing, but it's a little bit different using a different bucket of money on that project. And so what we've done is just kind of, we've enabled people to be able to raise their hand and be like, this is crap. Like this isn't right. Like this is operationally doesn't make sense. So I think that the more people in your organization that have that empowerment to be like, hey, we're wasting money, time, and resources um, across the org all trying to get to the same answer. Um, I think if people like us sitting in this room can start having that type of mentality, I think that's where you can start to win. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so how do we also start to predict where those shopper preferences will lie? Um, and obviously with the rise of pickup and then delivery as well, but uh, the expectation from brands, from um, retailer partners, how do we start to look ahead at that and be conscious of it when we're developing these really great Ego waffle trucks or really great um, programs um, you know, with transformers? Um, because we know that their preferences are going to change. So how do we stay ahead of that? Anyone? <laughs> you have Magic to, question uh, of the day. Yeah, big question. Um, you've got to stay with your consumer, and you've got to follow them 100%. They are in charge. Um, the brand's not in charge. The retailer's not in charge. It's all about the consumer. Um, and I would say you've got to stay on your game. 
You've got to stay on top of what's happening in the marketplace, what's happening in your category, how that's changing, and leverage your media partners that you do business with. They have a ton of insights and knowledge and information that they can share with you on creating these programs and what they've seen work, what they've seen deliver, and the trends they see emerging. Um, and then the other piece of that I would say is really just don't get so caught up in this is my marketing and this is my banner and this is my ad or this is my store signage. What can you do? Maybe you need to have a target group that gets this message. Maybe you have a second group that gets this message and a third group that gets a third message. And test all three of those together and understand what performs better. Maybe if click-through rate is your KPI, which it's probably not, um, you know, maybe one of them's gonna have a high click-through rate. Maybe one of them's gonna have a higher conversion rate. Maybe one of them's gonna have a whole different expectation of maybe they're more likely to leave a review for your product. So understand what those different messages get you and how you're communicating to that customer. And I think that's gonna be kind of the new frontier of marketing is even more personalization and more specialized messaging. Yeah, just real quick, this one thing I wanted to add on. One thing that we've done that's been, again, we didn't know we needed to do it until we did it, was really pulling in our media team. So all of our media is managed through Starcom, which is a whole other, again, separate budget, separate people. Um, but one thing that we've had a lot of success with at Kellogg is let's create a new, like what's our new retailer media strategy? And what's our new retailer media like metrics? So we have sat down and again had very uncomfortable, hard conversations about that, but it's made us be a lot better and it's allowed us to have the great insights. Because in this new world, like that media KPI, yeah, I'm a salesperson, but that is that has to be important to me. And for the salespeople that might be in the room right now, if it's not important to you right now, it's going to be in six months. Or it really honestly should be right now. But that's something that in this new world that we have to start thinking about. So that, that's a piece of advice I would give. And not to beat a dead horse, but I think for us, you know, if you're not coming back, as Nathan indicated, and constantly asking the shopper, uh, one of the small things we do at the end of every campaign is ask the shoppers we engage, the influencers, what did you think about that product? How did it perform um, for you in the home? And you know, was it easy to find? And would you buy it again? And you know, that little bit of information right after something hits the shelf. Um, and then Janelle's comment around ratings and reviews, if you're not sourcing those organically, they're subject to the very same requirements and standards that influencer marketing is. Uh, there has to be disclosure. You have to say up front, if you engage someone to leave a rating or a review, I received this item or I was incented to try this item. However, here's what I really think about it. And I think right now there's a lot of kind of crossing fingers on ratings and reviews and, and hoping that they trickle in organically. And if you're not really getting right in front of the shopper and asking them to try it and then taking those hard hits, having those uncomfortable conversations about how the item performed and what needs to be done to make it better, then um, there's just a miss there. Absolutely. One thing I, I would just build on too, we talk about collaboration with your media partners and internal teams. Some of the best programs that um, I've had in the past is connecting with my peers, non-compete peers in the industry, and bringing them to the table, ripping through plans, putting them back together, getting that advice or those thoughts from different individuals and being inclusive. Um, because at the end of the day, it's not about me, it's not about my brand, it's about the value that we're delivering to the customer and to the client. So um, don't be afraid to reach out to others in the industry and, and ask their advice or input. Um, I know there's a few here that, that do that very well, but um, lean in to that. Um, they, they will want to share those uh, insights with you as well. Yeah, and the cool thing about that, it's, it's okay to be vulnerable. Like guys, nobody, we're all sitting in this room because we want to learn. Nobody's got omni-channel or e-commerce figured out yet, I promise you. Not even our retailer partners do. And they will, will admit that. So it's a really good time to be in this position because it's okay to be vulnerable in order to learn more. Absolutely. So that leads me to my last question. Um, what's one piece of practical advice uh, that you would give to somebody both starting out in this space with insights and marketing, um, but then even um, if you could go back, you know, Whitney, 10 years ago, what would you do differently? Mm -hmm. And we'll just go down. <laughs> Good. No one can steal my answer then. <laughs> uh, so I think, uh, first of all, what I would give someone starting out in industry for a piece of advice would just be um, 
find your niche, find what you like about the consumer, find what you want to learn about and dive head first into it as fast as you can. Um, do everything you can to drum up as much support internally for your projects, for what you're working on, and make sure that you deliver those projects at 100%. I think we all get caught up in delivering a whole bunch of daily tasks that have to be done and have to be complete. And it's really easy to be like, how much one more project or one more thing? Pick your three or four big bets each quarter, each season, whatever you have, and focus in on those and hit those 100% so that you nail those and have a true success story that you can share. Or if it's not success, a true learning that you can share, which can be even more valuable. Yeah. Um, and then what I would do differently, probably from five years ago, is I would pay a lot more attention to what's happening digitally. I mean, I'm obviously in e-commerce and shopper marketing, so I, I do look at what's happening digitally very often, but the back end of the digital, how things work, how that data is collected, how people are being targeted, what we're learning about consumers, there is so much information there and so much more is going to be coming with all the new technology and platforms that if you're interested in that at all, that's exactly where I would head. Um, I think I would just say that not only be a steward of your business and the business that you're working on today, but also like kind of what we had talked about, learn other industries, learn other areas of the business, network with your peers, network with people across different um, categories. One of the things that I think has benefited me in my career is I got out of college, I was an HR person, then I went to work for Nestle, I was a sales analyst at Nestle, I worked for Ghirardelli, I was a buyer at Sam's Club, now I'm in electronics. So at the end of the day, all of those different, um, if you look at all those different product categories, very, very different, how you sell and, and analyze chocolate candy bars is very different than how you look at selling a $400 whole home Wi-Fi system. Um, so I think just as, as, a, as kind of a learnings for me and, and advice that I would give somebody starting in, the, in, this, in this industry of retail is talk to people, ask questions. I liked what Whitney said, be vulnerable ask as many questions, just soak it up like a sponge, and learn your industry that you're in today, but learn about other industries, because you never know when you could take some of those um, key themes or practices from other areas and apply it to your business today. So one of the things that's been incredibly useful in my career is my French degree. Totally kidding, it's utterly useless, <laughs> but really fun at parties. Um, but the thing about learning a foreign language is um, you have to totally immerse yourself in it. And I think the same is absolutely true here um, in, in this space. Um, if it's not complete immersion, you'll never become a native speaker. And so, you know, whether that's being in the stores, to Nathan's point, regularly, we forget that. We forget how important that is. Um, or really um, asking a lot of questions until you absolutely understand uh, the vocabulary and the concept. I mean, it's, immersion's the only way to get it right. And then in terms of learnings, um, it's, it's a little bit in line with what you said, Alicia, which you're, you're so good at leading by example on this. It's really not having our elbows out and being in competition, but uh, trying to sit down with non-competitive peers and, and sometimes competitive peers and say, you know, what are you doing? What are you trying? What can I learn from that? Um, you know, for our team, I think often when we hit the road and we hit an industry trade show and we, you know, get, a, get out of our to-do list and think a little bit about what's going on, what the trends are, that's, we come back refreshed and energized and a little more aware of something that we absolutely would have missed if we just said we've got all these tasks and we can't afford to get away from the office, so... Yeah, so fortunately or unfortunately, I had a chance to give this advice to my daughter who graduated college about four years ago. Um, and I say there's two things for, for her and anybody that's graduating and people that you look for that you hire. One, be data-driven. Um, the data will never lie to you. Uh, everybody else gets emotional, uh, you know, based on whatever their objectives are and their strategies and what they own. People are way overspending on certain areas that we just talked about of the business that if you look at the data, you, you probably shouldn't be spending as much in certain areas, but they spend because they're scared. Like, oh, my competitor is going to get there first and that's the next big wave and I don't want to miss it. So be data driven. The data won't lie to you. Um, and then be hyper focused on being naturally inquisitive and curious um, about new existing technology. So learn everything you can about the data you have access to and learn everything you can about the data you don't. 
um, so that you can see where even, you know, where is the next set of data going to come from. Um, and it is the people in CPG companies and retailers today, it's a lot of our millennial friends, so way, you know, way beyond me. Um, they are more risk takers than their predecessors because we're kind of used to, you know, doing what we've always done and feel safe that way, wrapped in a warm blanket of love based on the things that I used to do. And they're more risk takers and they are going to be more successful as a result. So be naturally curious and we hire people for that. Uh, so just something to think about as you're hiring people, people that have natural curiosity and data driven, they are the wave of our, of our future. Yeah, to go off that, and I've, I've kind of mentioned it already, but I think for me, going back, coming from an agency and marketing background, and getting into a, into a room with a bunch of you know CPG guys that have been doing it for 30 years at Kellogg's, it was hard. It still is hard um, to be able to gain that respect, be able to gain the credibility, um, to get them to listen to what I will say. But it all goes back to being data-driven. There is a lot of emotion. There's a lot of emotion in the world of like, well, you have to hit this to get your bonus this year, and you have to do this in order to get a promotion. So when you go in with data and take some of the emotion out, and that's something I've had to learn the hard way. Because when you have, I mean, I think everybody that works in Shopper has some type of dynamic craziness inherent to their personality, probably, um, in a good way. because. A lot of shopper marketers, I think, are very passionate, artistic, creative people. When you can mix that with data, um, that's something that's really, really powerful. And I wish I would have done that 10 years ago. Um, but to your point of bringing in people into the organization, that's why I was hired at Kellogg's, was to come in and try to be that change maker. But it all goes back to the what's in it for me. If you can get people and speak in their love language to understand like what's important to them as a person and as a business person, that's like secret sauce from my point of view. I love that. It's awesome. Okay. I'm going to open it up for any questions that anyone might have of our panelists here. Anyone? We're, we're <laughs> so you talked about capturing people where they are, which I love. I mean, there's data that says 43% of us shop in bed. 20% of us shop on the pop, 10% of us shop under the That's Jennifer, isn't it? Uh, yeah, I, I thought I could see there in the light. Yeah, no, we're absolutely going after you when you're under under the influence. But um, I, I think that's one of the interesting things about influencer marketing, right? Under the influence is that you know you, there really is um, a key time when you're most likely to be on these platforms, and Twitter actually. Um, just is finally making some of this available. Of all things, one of the longest standing social platforms is kind of just getting around to sharing that data in the last couple of weeks. So um, I think probably every single person up here, um, either on behalf of our clients or the clients themselves, are really looking at those key moments. Um, and that's when we're serving up the message. You know, we hope you act on it. And I know Chris is here. We're, we, one of the things we love doing is really driving directly to that digital coupon. Um, because we can take advantage of your tendency to, to shop in the moment and, and to use that offer. But I'm sure there are some experts up here with other opinions. Yeah, we're doing um, a test right now. We're about to launch a test with Google because, um, no surprise, uh, Frosted Flakes are pretty impulsive, <laughs> as are Cheez-Its, as are as pretty much everything that we make. So in this new in this new land of online grocery and .com, we are um, we're actually very aggressively going after that. Um, it's a little bit different, you know. Outside of using our friends at Ibotta, um, it's very the the chance of us actually being able to do here's your coupon flying through online grocery like that's never going to happen, right? So we're trying to get very creative working with Google and with our Walmart partners um, to launch that. But it is something that we have identified as being very important. I 
I would also say from the zero moment of truth is, it goes back to what I said on personalization. We all shop at different times. Some of us shop in the morning, some of us shop on our lunch break, some of us shop during conference calls. It doesn't really matter what time of day. We all have different habits and we all have different kind of routines that we fall into. I mean, if you're a new mom, that routine's gonna change. Um, if you suddenly become an empty nester, that routine is going to change. The best thing about that is the computers in our pockets and our tablets around us, they pick up on that really fast. Um, Google picks up on that really fast. Amazon picks up on that really fast. Walmart picks up on that really fast. And we're able to actually cater those moments to you. So I actually think it's easier now to reach people in that zero moment of truth than what it had been previously, just based on the technology and the change that we've seen in that space. I'll, I'll just, uh, I, uh, I go to a lot of conferences and listen to a lot of speakers and sometimes you leave the room and you're like, oh, that was all interesting, but what do I go do now? Uh, so I'll make you an offer. There's a, there's a report that covers the four moments of truth, not just the zero moments of truth. Um, and we can send it to you. I don't care if you're a client of ours or not. We'll just, we could send it to you for your category. Zero moment of truth is how somebody plans. So I'll go back to what Nathan said earlier. You have to understand the consumer, how do they plan? First moment of truth is they're at the shelf or in front of their laptop or their phone and they're making a decision about which brand to buy. They've already chosen their retailer or their retailer or their restaurant. Second moment of truth is they got it home, they tried it, how do they like it, will they buy it again? And the third moment of truth is ongoing loyalty to that brand or that retailer or that e-tailer. You, you really need to measure all four, not just one. One is gonna tell you how people plan. Awesome. If you only advertise to them when they're planning, you're gonna get some, but the data should tell you what percentage of people plan to buy your brand versus buy it on impulse. Guilty is charged on the Cheez-Its, by the way. Um, <laughs> we plan other stuff, but, uh, uh, but there, are, there are definitely that is brand and category specific. And so you gotta understand all four of those. And you also have to understand the ongoing loyalty to your brand. So is your messaging creating long-term loyalty? Because you don't just want the impulse purchase once in a while. You want the impulse purchase and then you want ongoing loyalty to your brand. So I would say, you know, those four moments of truth and there's a report that we pull, it's on shopper and consumer behavior specific to your brands and category. And we'll just, we'll ship you a kind of a one-time snapshot of it and you can take it from there, use it in your internal planning meetings, whatever you want to do. So you can reach out to me or any one of my colleagues and, and we'll shoot it over. Thank you for that. I was going to say one more thing. We look at it a little bit differently because if you think about your Wi-Fi router, that's not really an impulse purchase. Um, that's more of a, it broke, my whole house is down, I'm desperate, I got to go buy something now. I can't even wait for Amazon Prime to deliver it in a day. I just need to go get it. Um, so for us, brand loyalty is huge. It's huge brand awareness, brand loyalty. Um, and one of the things that we're seeing with our Linksys brand is, Kara and I joke about it, that um, we have a very old demographic. We have a very old male consumer that is loyal to our brand. And um, we are trying to figure out as a brand, how do we get that younger generation? And one of the things that we've identified is um, that the grandchildren or the children um, can help their parents and, and help, ed and the parents can help educate. Um, and it's almost like a generational brand loyalty um, transition that we're working on. And so we're trying to figure out how to capitalize on that. But. Um, for us in electronics, most of everything, um, a lot of our business is planned purchases, um, with the exception of like our, our mobile accessory side. Um, like if you have a phone charger, again, it's mostly need. I need a phone charger, but there's also this whole concept of, of um, commoditized, it's disposable. Like I just need a cable, I don't care what it is. I've got this much money, this much time, I just need it go. So it's a different, in electronics, it's a little bit different um, mindset and um, I guess like how we think of insights than just maybe some of your traditional grocery or consumables categories. Huh? Things like attach rate. Oh yeah, oh yeah, attach rate, especially when the new Samsung launches, yep. <laughs> Great, any additional? Uh, 
everybody could just go ahead and sign their in, no, I'm just kidding, sign an NDA. No, um, so right now, uh, as you're aware, that's, that transition is in full blown, um, current, currently happening. So we're working really closely with, um, with the whole entire team. So all of Step J's team and then the old um, triad folks as well. I think that honestly the next four months are gonna be kind of that true, um, how, how it's gonna go, but it's, it's been great. They've been very great partners during the transition. Um, if you have more specific questions, come, come hit me after. I would say relatively the same thing. We haven't seen a drastic change in our day-to-day -day activities with the transition so far. Um, obviously, um, the Walmart Media Group is now copied on all the emails with Triad. That's probably been one of the biggest adjustments, and we're probably getting more feedback from them about our programs and what we had when it was just going through Triad, which is really good to see. And I think that there's probably a little bit more buyer involvement in those programs as well, a little bit more internal communication, especially with our dot-com partners about what we're planning to do, which um, that's always going to be a very helpful change. But I think Whitney's right. The next four to six months is going to be um, very interesting. Yeah, some, some words of advice. So I kind of figured this out like six months ago that the way to try to win here was to get the merchants in on all these emails because what would happen like early in the early days, we would spend like 300 doing a campaign with them and oh my gosh, we don't even sell this food in the store or not even in the store but on .com. So it's like one of those early, when we first started working with this team, like big disconnects between like advertising what we actually had available on .com like and including supply chain, including Walmart supply chain. So um, we've been working really closely with adding in the buyer to buyers to every single conversation. But I think the next four months are going to be critical for that transition. But I know they're they're doing it very. It's it's very aggressive. So. Great. Okay. One more. Anyone? Yeah. All right. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you for joining us once again for the Supplier Community Podcast. For more information, visit our website, supplier.community. We bring you the experts. You've been listening to another episode of the Supplier Community Podcast. We hope you enjoyed the show. To get in touch with us, any of our experts, or to be featured as a Supplier Community expert, reach out to amanda at supplier.community.